Hello and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia Baker-Whitelaw and here's my co-host Morgan Davies. Hello. So welcome to our 2019 post-Oscars episode. Um, if you came here hoping for an episode about James Cameron's The Abyss, that's not happening because it's not available on US streaming services. And also the Oscars were very exciting this year. We're going to kind of start off by talking about the weird situation behind this year's ceremony, which was very dramatic. We're also going to cover some of the less popular winners this year, such as Bohemian Rhapsody and Green Book, um, which won Best Picture and we're not happy about. And we will wrap up with some of the more delightful and happy winners that made us very excited about creativity and art and movies. So Morgan, let's get stuck into this very weird uh, kind of no host ceremony situation. Yes. So if you have been following the Oscars this year, even very superficially, you will be aware that there were a large number of controversies and decisions that the producers of the Academy Awards proposed and then walked back. For instance, presenting certain awards during the commercial breaks, not having all the songs performed during the telecast, having Kevin Hart host the ceremony, and then having to rescind that because certain comments that he had made. Yeah, it turns out he is the only person on planet Earth who is qualified and willing to host the Oscars, which is uh, just a very plausible situation. Right. There was not a good situation. Everyone was kind of concerned about this ceremony being a total disaster. And it went fine. There was no host, which uh, has not happened in a very long time. I'm sure that, you know, in the early days of the Oscars, being televised, they didn't do that. But certainly in our lifetimes, there's always been a host. And I thought that was basically fine. Opening monologues of awards shows are often very bad. And Jimmy Kimmel has hosted the last couple times. Very hit people, or miss. Well, right. People are always like, Jimmy Kimmel is so great. I did no, not agree at all. He's a blando. Right. I didn't think he was catastrophically terrible in the vein of Seth MacFarlane, but I did not think he was particularly great. The last great award ceremony monologue that I've seen. And one of the only great ones was definitely John Mulaney and Nick Kroll doing the uh, Independent Spirit Awards last year, in which they basically mostly talked about Harvey Weinstein and other Me Too topics. The only male comedians I would trust with this subject matter, and they were very acerbic. Which is why it was just so relaxing, like when, when they had John Mulaney and Aquafina presented like the two short categories and they were just so chill they just riffed a bit about being excited to meet them some celebrities and it was like you guys are professionals <laughs> yes but the edginess that um Melanie and Kroll had at that ceremony would not really fit with the Oscars so I actually thought that was okay people in general seem to be very positive about the way the ceremony went it was much faster than usual, partially because they had no host and partially because they cut all of the filler from the ceremony, except for the nominated songs, which were performed, um, except for the Kendrick Lamar song, All the Stars from Black Panther, which he declined to perform. And the songs were also like, obviously the songs are all like good performances or whatever, but like the songs, it was so obvious that it was like the whole thing was like fucking spackled together at the last minute. So it was like, well... Here's what we're going to have for the glitziest show of the year. It's going to be some people standing in a mostly empty stage and performing a song. And it's like, well, okay. And like Bette Midler sung the big song from Mary Poppins. And she was just wearing like a random dress. And there was no sort of themed stuff or dancers. And it was like, yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. The performance of Shallow was definitely the highlight oh, of that sure. part of the night. 
they did a great job. My, I had like five-ish people over and we were all just like enraptured watching this. My mother texted me very excitedly after people on Twitter seemed very into it. Was like the Mary Poppins one seems like something that needs stagecraft. Whereas Shallow, you just need Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper to fill the stage with their horny energy. Correct. It was great. I loved it. Um, but I agree that the other songs felt a bit weak in terms of staging and performance. Um, but it was interesting to watch the way the whole thing went because people love to complain about the Oscars, myself included. No one is ever satisfied with how everything goes. And that's part of the joy is to complain about not just about the winners, which we'll get to, but about the whole production. Um, and in recent years, they've done all kinds of stupid things like bringing normal people in quotes into the ceremony to like show them around Dislike. or Ellen's like selfie thing where she gets a selfie with a bunch of famous people. And that kind of stuff I think is a complete waste of time. No one likes this. Why bother? But things like they they will sometimes do like five montages in the show. And by the last montage, you're like, please, Jesus, get me out of here. Like, this is too much. But they only did one montage at the top of the show. And I actually thought they could have used a couple more of them just to break up the pace a little bit and to have some connection to like the history of film, which they did not get into at all. Yeah, I could have done with like an educational segment like... I mean, I guess the equivalent last year would have been a behind the scenes like thing with The Shape of Water where they find out how to do like the dry for wet technique to make stuff look yes. like it's underwater. Like a nice little educational segment. <laughs> so Joe Reed, who is the co-host of the tremendous This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, had a great little thread about this on Twitter that I'll link to saying that part of the problem with the ceremony was that it moved along in a good clip, but it really was very rushed. And in the past, he did this, he like ranked all the sort of modern Oscar ceremonies for an article he did recently. So he actually recently watched like all of the recent ceremonies, which is a gargantuan task. But he said that before the past five years or so, where they started really trying to rush everything for the quote unquote, below the line categories, they would try to actually really illustrate what all of those crafts are. So I remember distinctly in the Marie Antoinette year, and they've done this a couple of times, they would have like a sort of mini fashion show for all of the costume design nominees. I so wish they when had they... done that. Obviously, I would be into that every year. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine the, like the Phantom Thread costumes like being trotted out? Like that was so, so much fun. Or one year, a few years ago, I remember this, they for sound mixing and sound editing, like they isolated the different sounds in a clip to sort of explain to you how that works but sometimes so sometimes they'll do it in like the host or the presenters are kind of explaining to you what the different crafts are sometimes they'll have a clip package that explains it to you better and shows off the different nominees in a clearer way and in this they basically just like read off the names and so if you're a viewer who is not someone like us who knows all about this stuff None of this means anything to you. And if they're already worried about people not caring about those categories, which is why they were going to show some of them during the commercial break, then it's sort of like, well, I mean, you need to. I absolutely agree with this in principle. I think there is one exception here, which is I think you tweeted or messaged me or something being like, no one's going to fucking even know what production design is. And I think that's true. However, I think that Hannah Ble Beachler's kind of acceptance speech was so exciting that everyone who has any interest is just going to Google her 
and find out that she like worked on lemonade and whatever and it's gonna be like this is amazing no i thought her speech was one of the best speeches of the night absolutely like everyone in the room totally was i mean we weren't really talking during the speeches anyway but everyone was dead silent and we were completely like oh my god (laughs) but you shouldn't have to rely on one of the best speeches of the night to know what is happening right like the makeup people who just spent like 10 minutes just talking, like giving names. <laughs> Although obviously we know what makeup is. So I guess that was, yes, but yeah. yeah. A lot of people go back to the uh, ceremony 10 years ago that Hugh Jackman hosted and go on and on and on about how amazing his opening number was. And I remember not being that impressed by it. And I suspect I would feel the same if I went back and watched it now, like it was fine. But but I think the reason people actually remember that ceremony so fondly, and people do reference this as well, is that they set up that ceremony, which I think Bill Condon produced, in order of how a film is created. So they gave away one of the supporting actor awards right at the beginning, which they always do. But then they did like writing first, which is that's such the a first fucking smart idea. Right. And then went through all the different stages so that if you don't know what all these things mean, you understand like how a film is created. And I don't understand why they don't do that every single year. It is so intuitive. I bet they, I bet like ABC got some kind of like viewing stat where they were like, everyone just tuned out at visual effects or something. Right. So that would be my recommendation to them. The only other note I will say about the show, and this is a problem they've had for years, is that they used to present the honorary Oscar on the telecast and they would give out one. And then several years ago, they started doing a separate award ceremony where they gave out three and it's not televised. And then they'll like trot out the people on the night and like show them for five seconds. Sometimes they actually have them come up onto the stage. Last night, they literally just were like showed them in the audience for one shot. And um, I hate it. I think they need to change it. They need to start bringing, doing this thing in the telecast again, the way they do it literally every other award show. They all have an honorary thing. Another film writer I follow, uh, Nathaniel Rogers, pointed out before the ceremony when all the presenters were announced that basically no one was presenting who became famous before essentially our lifetimes, like before 1990-ish. Yeah, they didn't have any Michael Caines up in that joint. Right. And so they're so... And like the presenters I thought were really good listed people. It was, you know, people who were interesting and fun and there were a lot of people of color. Like it was a good list of people, but it was all people who were very famous like now. And I thought that very much fit in with the mode of the show, which was no connection to history at all. And whenever they bring out one of those like really sort of old legendary movie stars, the audience goes nuts. It's very cool for the people at home too. They could have had Dick Van Dyke. That's topical. Fucking Dick right, Van Dyke. Exactly. People fucking love that. And the honorary awards, like I say this on Twitter all the time, but I'll say it again. I rem- That's part of some of the stuff I remember the most from watching when I was a kid or like an early teenager. And I didn't know who any of those people were, but you just got the sense from how excited everyone was in the room and the speeches that they were giving that these were really important people who had achieved a lot. And the one I remember the most is when um, Robert Altman won and he never won a competitive Oscar, but he won an honorary one. He was very, very old. I think he died quite shortly after winning it. And I don't even remember what he said in the speech, but it was just very moving to see him win. And he's one of my favorite directors now. And I'm really glad I got to see that. And the fact that they don't do this, it's like, why? 
Why? Spike Lee, incidentally, has won an honorary Oscar, which no one appears to know because everyone's talking about how he's won his first Oscar for this. Can you imagine Spike Lee giving a speech where he does not give a time limit and he can just fucking talk for however long he wants on the Oscars telecast? I mean, God, they could have done that. That would have been amazing. But no. Until now, I was obviously aware of the existence of Spike Lee. And I had seen one of his movies, which is the heist movie he did with Clive Owen, which I don't think is representative of his general his gen- general energy. I also saw Black Klansman this year. But um, now having seen him on the awards circuit, I'm like, yeah, I need to see like all 512 <laughs> of Spike Lee's movies. Right. I'm going to watch Do the Right Thing this week, I think, because I have somehow never seen that despite living in Brooklyn for many years. It's very embarrassing. Yeah, he kind of won the night, I think. All of his reaction shots. Well, he's just like, he's so. so yeah, he, he has reached the point in his career where he permits himself to have full free expression. <laughs> oh, he's done that forever. That's not new. That's oh, just. Oh, I who assumed he there is. was a more toned down stage in his 40s. <laughs> I don't think so. I think this is just. Uh, that his explains why he took this him. long to get an Oscar. <laughs> Correct. Yes. But moving on from the ceremony itself, the winners. As I saw some headline say, you know, the ceremony could be as good or bad as it can be, but ultimately it's all about the winners. And if Green Book wins, then it doesn't matter how successful your ceremony was, Green Book still won. And I was like, that's true. That's true. I mean, just all of the situation with Green Book is a clusterfuck. And in fact, we should kind of go through a little bit of a timeline of all the messes with this movie, because I feel like some of our listeners are not as obsessive as we are in terms of movie updates. And that's what we are here to do. We are here to inform you. Um, But I think the most telling detail when they accepted that movie is that on stage, when everyone went up, even Viggo Mortensen looked fucking uncomfortable. He was like clenching his jaw. (laughs) The And I was like, and this is a man who himself had his own little racism scandal while promoting this movie because he said the n-word and that was like one of the less awful things that happened while this film was being promoted so like that's the scale we're at here and he was like oh yikes didn't want to win for this one (laughs) i mean vigo has said a number of very dumb things while promoting this which has been very difficult for me as someone who was in love with aragorn yes of course we all were but even he like he's not a complete idiot right He's not a total dummy. And so, yes, he looked not thrilled. And then it reminded me a little bit on a sort of different, in a different way of when the Moonlight La La Land thing happened and Ryan Gosling was just standing at the back of the stage, like covering his face, looking totally gleeful. <laughs> he was like, that fucking God. Um, yeah, exactly. But yeah, Peter Farrelly got up on stage to accept that award and was like, this all this all goes back to Vigo and said something about him and then was like, also, also Maharshala. And didn't and mention and the like, man that this movie is about. He didn't go, oh, thanks to Don Shirley for inspiring the concept of this movie. It was like, thanks to Vigo. And it's like, Vigo Mortensen didn't even write the movie. He's one of the two lead stars and a lot of people have a quite serious debate over whether he's the protagonist when it should be Maharshala Ali who's the protagonist, but okay. It was just bad. I predicted this. I was not pleased. I can't remember what I put on my final Um, prediction ballot because on Twitter, my prediction was Roma and I think my original prediction was Green Book and I changed it because I'm an optimist and I was like, no, Roma is a really good movie and I think it'll win. 
But everyone was just like, it's going to be fucking Green Book because this is Trump's America. I mean, I read a couple of good pieces today that I will link to from um, Mark Harris at Vulture and Cam Collins at Vanity Fair, who I thought were very smart on this. And the whole story of the Oscars this year was basically the fact that the Academy is completely in a moment of division, right? So they have added a huge number of members in the past two years since the Oscars so white situation happened. And um, I saw some statistics going around Twitter last night about the uh, demographic composition of the Academy. And, and they were the previous statistics. Because I saw those and I was correct. like, the Academy is no longer 94% white or whatever it was. <laughs> correct. I have the current statistics. So... It was 94% white in 2014 and is 84% white now. And similarly, it was 77% male and now it's 69%. So obviously those are not like amazing statistics, but in just five years, that's a Because if, if you think about like the way shift. this works, unless you just assassinate all of the old white men who make up the core base of the existing right. like academy members, most of whom are kind of nominees or long established members, then you either like fucking double the entire size of the academy, which is an unworkable situation, or you do what they're doing, which is sort of incremental, but like very intentional in like adding to the pool. And it has very obviously had right. an effect because the nominees and the winners this year were very different from what you see in previous years. And like in his press conference after winning the Oscar, Spike Lee was like, literally, I would not have got this Oscar if not for the demographic shifts they've had over the past couple of years. Um, but the problem is, like Morgan said, there yes. is still like this huge division because the majority of people in the in the Academy are like older, whiter, and maler. And while Hollywood is not necessarily really conservative, the kind of audience of people who are voting for Green Book are sort of centrist, wealthy, white people who vote Democrat but are not, you know, woke. So they're like, yeah, this is a feel-good story about people being brought together. It's a movie about like a black man and a white man finding that their differences don't actually keep them apart. And it, everyone who has like critical faculties is like, no, this film is racist and it's a white savior movie and the whole thing surrounding it is very awkward. Like after the movie came out, it kind of turned out that they really had not even spoken to the family of Mahershala Ali's character and all of the sourcing was from the son of the racist white guy. So it was completely one-sided in terms of research. The family of Mahershala Ali's character, Don Shirley, publicly complained. Mahershala Ali was clearly quite uncomfortable with the fact that this had happened and he didn't wasn't aware of it at the time. And then it turned out that one of the writers was like a big Trump supporter who'd written some like racist Islamophobic tweet at some point. Peter Farrelly, the director, admitted that he'd just pulled his dong out in front of a bunch of employees in the 90s. And he was like, it was a different time then when I was in my mid 40s. And it's like, there was just so many elements to this. And yet it won Best Picture because people were like, it's an inspirational Oscar film. And just it was quite boring to watch Roma because that film's in black and white and Spanish. So it's on Netflix. Well, also the the person the person who wrote the racist tweet is the oh, son yeah, of the yeah. guy in the film. So it's all just very incestuous and entangled. Yeah, I mean the thing is there were definitely people voting for this movie because of the backlash to it and they were mad about people telling them they telling them they couldn't like a film, right? So there's this sort of 
there is an element of this that I think reflects the general political mood of the country in the past couple of years, which is the Trumpian contraction against the Obama coalition, which is white people being like, fuck you, you don't get to tell me what to do, which, you know, there's a lot of that happening in America. But also, we all were, you know, we specifically did not see Bohemian Rhapsody or Great Book, but the people like us on the internet who are complaining about these movies and writing critical things about them and whatever are thinking in a critical way about the issues of representation, et cetera, in them, and also just being like, these movies are bad. And my understanding is that Bohemian Rhapsody on a tactical level is like Yeah, the impression I get is that Green Book is a competently made film, which Bohemian Rhapsody is very clearly not. (laughs) Correct. Um, But a lot of the people voting for these awards... Obviously, you know, they know how to make movies. They're very skilled in their fields, etc. But they're just, they're watching like hundreds of films that they're getting screeners for. And they're just voting for the stuff they like. Because that's what they do. And so they like Green Book. Bohemian Rhapsody made a gazillion dollars. They probably went and saw it with their kids, whatever, and liked it. And so they voted for them. And so it's meaningful in the sense that it reflects the biases, whatever. But... It's not, I think people just vote for the stuff they like. You know, it happened this year. (laughs) The stuff they liked was appalling. I mean, the last two winners were Moonlight and The Shape of Water, which are bold choices. (laughs) Well, this is the thing, right? And this is what the Mark Harrison, Cam Collins pieces were getting at, was that this is really bad. And we should all acknowledge that it's really bad. It's the worst winner since Crash, for sure. Another racist film about race relations in America. But I think it's easy and tempting, and we all do this, to try to narrativize Best Picture winners in a way that they don't actually deserve necessarily. Because you don't know how much these things win by, right? This could have won by three votes. And it's like 7,000 people. Actually, more like 9,000, I think. And it was a very broad field, Right, and then you look at the other winners, like the fact that Spike Lee won Best Adapted Screenplay and this movie won Best Original Screenplay, that's just such an insane combination of things to occur. And Black Panther won several awards. I mean, it's just, it's so... the, The thing that is more interesting to me is not actually the Green Book winning, although that is just horrible. It's that you have all this stuff happening simultaneously within the same organization. The fact that Moonlight can win and two years later this movie can win the same award tells you a lot about what is happening in this body, right? Because, like, that shouldn't happen. That's, like, what? Which I think speaks to the diversity of the group. And I don't mean that demographically, although that is part of it. I just mean, like, the kind, like, the, clearly they are all thinking different things. But also, again, back to my point about them not thinking about this stuff in the same way we do, or at least not all of them, is that a lot of people love Moonlight. They just thought it was it moved them. It's a very emotionally affecting movie. And they really like Green Book too. And I am sure that there are people who liked both of those films. And it, that seems crazy to us, but, you know, it's the world we live in. I don't know what to tell you. So, yeah, it's grim. It is very grim. Mahershala Ali, I have never seen anyone so unhappy to win an Oscar. That was dark. That was really fucked up. That was maybe the low point of the night for me. 
actually. If we recorded an episode for the 2017 Oscars, I don't remember if we did, but if we did, I'm sure I was standing for Mahershala Ali in that episode because I was so fucking hyped for him. I love him. And then I was actively rooting against him this time round because I was like, I don't want, first of all, I don't want him to win for this movie. He's already got an Oscar and he should win another one for something else. But also I want Richard E. Grant to win. Like, I mean, just so delightful. He had a good time, so it was fine. But it was just like, it's so uncomfortable for him to win for this fucking movie. (laughs) This is the thing, right? Like either Richard E. Grant or Sam Elliott, who was obviously not going to win for A Star is Born, but was so happy to be nominated. He wasn't as publicly... Well, right. He wasn't as publicly effusive as Richard E. Grant. I don't think he's on social media, but all the interviews I saw with him, like he was completely overjoyed to be nominated. He was so happy. And he is a beloved industry figure as well, right? They could have given it to either one of those men for great performances, and they would have been just so fucking happy to win. It would have been delightful. And instead, you give it to Maharshala, who did not smile once. While accepting or while walking off the stage, because he was just in this state of like, oh god. His wife was seemed like a very pleasant person, but anytime anything was happening with Green Book specifically, she was just sitting there with this look on her face of like, I must sit here. I must deal with this like just stony face. There were a lot of reactions to Green Book winning Best Picture. <laughs> yes. Um, let's move on to the other terrible yes. thing. Bohemian Rhapsody. Which won the most awards of any film? Wow, I did not I did not fully clock that. We all knew that Rami Malek was gonna win. Which is like whatever. Like biopics. Fucking the the Oscars love biopics. They love a biopic where you wear a wig or a tooth. And he wore both a wig and a tooth. I just I mean again, I didn't see this movie. Every clip I saw from it made me want to die. The clip, Shocking. the clip they showed Shocking. from his performance during the, you know, these are the nominees part. Yeah. Was him it was lip syncing. I was like, do you have nothing else to show us from this film? What? What? Because like the situation with this movie is like, it's so fucking messy. Because obviously you have the situation with Brian Singer, which is like awful on an ethical kind of spiritual level. On top of that, like the, the fact that the film does not treat Freddie Mercury's legacy with respect and is so very clearly skewed by the kind of retroactive desires of the other members of Queen that want themselves to be represented a different way and the lack of respect for sort of queer history and AIDS and that sort of thing. Um, So like even based on just that stuff, I was not interested in watching this movie because I find it offensive. But once it had come out and was starting to become extremely popular because everyone loves Queen and Freddie Mercury... Once I started seeing clips from it, I was like, holy fucking shit. Because this movie is just quality-wise so bad. Because I am willing to accept that on a technical level, the performances and the production design and stuff on a green book is probably very good, right? Especially the actors who are both very talented. But with Bohemian Rhapsody, there's this one really viral clip, which if you follow us on Twitter, I'm sure you've seen, but we'll link to it in the show notes. And it's just this one scene where the members of Queen are meeting with their new band manager to discuss their kind of big break. And every single element of this scene is appallingly bad. Like, they're all wearing terrible wigs. Their dialogue is, like, weirdly stilted. The whole scene feels unnecessary. But it's it's edited in this absolutely bonkers way where every individual person is just getting a reaction shot to stuff that's completely meaningless dialogue. There's, like, 14 cuts of someone just sort of moving a chair out of the way. The whole thing is, like, green screen, so the background looks really weird. 
And it's just so bizarre and false. And it looks like a TV movie that's just been cobbled together. And obviously there were behind the scenes issues where they actually did have to cobble together some of the footage because they switched directors and there were some kind of upsets during the filming. But this film is like one of the worst edited, like just from the clips, the editing is appalling. And it won the best editing Oscar. What? Well, clearly (laughs) they were rewarding the editor whose name I do not remember and do not care to look up. Because he was saving the movie, right? Because of the directing situation. But I found out recently that he is actually primarily a composer, which is kind of interesting because that's very unusual to have someone who's that skilled in two different crafts fields. But um, he has edited, I think, 12 or 13 movies. And all of them are Brian Singer's films. Like he's edited just all of Brian Singer's movies. That's all he does is edit Brian Singer's movies and then do music for various things. Which means that... His entire career is so closely tied to Brian Singer's, which nobody has been mentioning. He did not thank him in his acceptance speech because no one's allowed to mention Brian Singer. And I was just thinking, like, all of these actors have rightfully been having to answer questions about Brian Singer's sexual misconduct allegations. But he is, he is literally Brian Singer's personal editor. Correct. Like, he has never edited another film by anyone so, else. So... The idea that this man could not be aware of Brian Singer's behavior is fully impossible. Like, it's, it's just not, there's no way. I just, I was really repulsed by seeing him win. I was really, really mad and upset. And then the sound stuff, like sound mixing, fine. But sound editing, what? I was so what? sure that was going to go to First Man, the space movie, which I've also not seen. But everyone was talking about you know, how good the sort of sound and special effects were in that film. Like, it's meant to be very immersive. I could, I really couldn't decide. I thought it could have gone to a number of things, um, but the worst would have Oh, been... actually, you should explain to the listeners the difference between sound editing and sound mixing, because this is the most obscure category. <laughs> so sound editing is the creation of new sounds for a film. So something like First Man, which is about the early space program and the moon landing, you have to create lots of, like, rocket sounds and then you know, not so much on the moon because there's no sound up there, but all of that kind of machinery and stuff, war movies will often win this because you have to create bullet sounds and bombs and all of that kind of thing. It's when you cut a cabbage in half to use for a beheading noise. Right. And then sound mixing is layering various sound tracks together. So concert move, not I mean, not literally concert movies, but like something like, a Star is Born or Bohemian Rhapsody that uses lots of music and other uh, audio will often get nominated in those categories, as well as something like a war movie that uses all kinds of different types of sound. The people in the sound branch have for a long time wanted these things to be combined, and they clearly should be, because it is apparent that no one, including the sound people, understand the difference because they nominate the same movies, like, all the time. If they wanted to give sound mixing to Bohemian Rhapsody, fine, whatever. They did have to mix a lot of sounds for that True. film. Sound editing, however. What sounds were they editing? Like, I mean, every film has sound editing, of course, but... I mean, that is just an insane... Jesus Christ. I mean, I would give that to, like, Avengers over this. Yeah. And I don't think Avengers deserves any award. Right. (laughs) I mean, it's just... It's so maddening. I just found the whole thing very demoralizing. The fact that it's winning all of these awards and no one is mentioning Brian Singer, because obviously they can't mention Brian Singer, but, like, 
he directed the fucking movie. Everyone's acting like he didn't really direct it. My understanding is that he left a week or two weeks before the end of production. Like, he directed the film. He's making he directed, tons yeah. of money off of this film. Like, I read of some articles saying he got like a like he like fifty million accumulative yeah. or something because like you have a contract that's sort of attached yeah, to film sales. Yeah. So the more successful this movie is, the more money he gets. I think part of it is obviously he's been around for so long that far more people than Let On will have been aware of it, and people just don't want to ever kind of acknowledge the fact that they either guessed or outright knew what was happening but I think because the things that he did were just so shocking like even by the standards of quite a lot of now public sexual assault allegations that it's actually like just hard to talk about it and I don't think that's like an excuse like oh well I completely understand but if you're just trying to have like a really dumb frivolous job of promoting a queen movie it's hard to have like a public conversation with an interviewer about underage rape. Also, as Cam Collins mentioned in this article I'll link to, and I think he's totally right, the fact that the victims in this case are young men and boys who are not yes. famous for the most part. Someone like Harvey Weinstein, you know, the big exposés about him had testimonials from assistants and people who are not big names, but they also had you know, Gwyneth Paltrow and other huge actresses. Yeah. And, you know, I remember Gwyneth Paltrow's was not the worst at all, but it was a huge deal when her thing was in the New York Times. Like a huge, huge deal. And I was really upset by it. And part of that was that it was Gwyneth Paltrow. And I think that Singer is... is kind of escaping because he targeted people who were never going to be famous right. and were like incredibly vulnerable because they could never like yeah you just can't talk about yeah. it so it's really it's just really awful i find it really upsetting um and then a, sort of on the more superficial level um i just think the biopic thing is making me insane it's just making me crazy like they need to stop this i saw some statistic recently and maybe it with this one it will be one up from this but it was something like 12 of the last 15 best actor winners have been playing a real person yeah so like of the past five winners three were all written by the screen same screenwriter and were biopics so the theory of everything darkest hour and bohemian rhapsody were all written by this guy named anthony mccartan who just does these very middle of the road biopics where the leading actor gets an oscar for their quote-unquote transformative performance um and then on the way he now has jonathan price is going to be starring as the pope in a movie called the pope <laughs> uh, i presume a recent pope and then he's going to be doing a John Lennon-Yoko Ono movie where I presume some actors will be winning an Oscar for one of those two roles. And next year we have Rocketman starring Taron Egerton as Elton John, which I actually, I watched the trailer for that today and as these movies go, it looks fine. It looks fine. After I watched that trailer, I was like, the tone of the Elton John movie is relatively similar to what I think kind of the tone of Bohemian Rhapsody is, which is it's sort of, it's a corny biopic with lots of music that we all like, which is not a genre that I think ought to be taken particularly seriously on an awards level. But I will happily watch the Elton John movie because I like Elton John music. I like Taron Egerton. I think it'll be fun. Yeah, I mean, I obviously completely agree about the Elton John situation. 
Plus, his life is like not like this huge controversial thing because he's dead. Because he's alive. And he would just be like, please do a nice movie that makes me look good. I mean, it looks like there's going to be a lot about addiction, which will be dramatic, you know, whatever. But just thinking about doing all of this again. And what's going to happen, I guarantee you, is that they'll be like, Taron Edgerton actually sings in this movie. He sounds very good. He can sing. And everyone will be like, oh, he's actually singing. And then think, why on earth did we give Robbie Malik that award when he wasn't singing? It is also a lot easier to sing an Elton John song than a Freddie Mercury song because he didn't have a 15 octave range. 100%. But, yeah. <laughs> but just the idea of winning an Oscar in a music biopic when you are not singing is so ridiculous to me. Well, if we had more of a culture of musicals, then people would be more picky because they'd be like, oh, you should actually have to sing and dance, which um, as La La Land has proven, you don't. You know who did sing this year, though? is Bradley fucking Cooper, who did not win an Oscar, which is painful to me. I mean, this is what's so hard about this. I mean, obviously, I'd love to start as Born. It was one of my very favorites of the year. But the Best Actress category, which we will get to in a moment, anyone could have won from that category, and it would have been a great outcome. Such good performances. Whereas this one, it was like, you had one choice. There was really one good choice that you had. And uh, they didn't pick it. They picked Robbie Malik instead, and it's just, oh, oh. They showed one clip from that movie, and I was like, oh, this is going to be rough for me again, just having to think about this, knowing he will lose, which, of course, is exactly what happened. And then uh, Robbie Malik gave a bad speech and uh, didn't mention AIDS or Brian Singer, and it was great. Fantastic. And then he was pushed off the stage by Freddie Mercury's right? <laughs> I mean, you get what's coming to you, I guess. Um, let's talk about positive things. Let's just start off with the best speech of the night. The only major upset of the evening, which was Olivia Coleman winning. The thing is, everyone loves Olivia. It's true. She's lovely. She's super nice. Every anecdote about her on a personal level is that she's just extremely charming and down to earth. And um, Emma Stone was more emotionally excited about Olivia Coleman winning this Oscar than she was about herself winning an Oscar a couple of years ago. Oh my god, she was weeping, like full on just hysterical tears. I saw a great tweet of you know some journalist who was there in the lobby or something saying she was like running out sobbing, saying something along the lines of like, this is the best thing that has ever happened. She is the best person ever. And I was like, oh my god, like, wow. <laughs> I mean, it just really, I found that very moving. I was like, oh, this is great. She just gave the one of the best speeches I've ever seen. It was great. I had been rooting for Glenn Close. I really love that performance in a movie that is fine, but not great. And obviously... I mean, I've not seen that movie, but I assume she'd win it as like a legacy correct. win because everyone really likes Glenn Close and she doesn't have an Oscar yet. But she still doesn't. She has been nominated seven times. But Olivia Coleman is absolutely incredible and the favorite. I mean, you cannot argue with that win. And then she gave the best speech of the night and was so happy uh, and shouted out Glenn Close in a funny way. And she was just completely delightful. And she made a fart noise oh and she ended the speech by just being like, ha ah, lady Gaga. I know, which who among us, right? Like that's, of course. Um, it was just really great. And she's given a few speeches this year that have all been wonderful. This was the best one. And you can just tell that she has not prepared. And she's just saying what she is thinking in exactly that moment. And that's a rare quality in these things. Because normally these people are winning all of the awards throughout the whole season, 
they get very practiced and it's very dull. So when Emma Stone, for instance, won for La La Land, which like every once in a while I remember that she has an Oscar for that movie and it just seems bizarre to me that that happened. By the time she won, it was totally dull. And she was just like, yes, thank you. Thank you to everyone. Whereas this was a big surprise and Olivia Coleman didn't do a lot of campaigning this year because she's been shooting The Crown in the UK. And so it was just this huge breath of fresh air that I appreciated a lot. Regina King's speech was also very beautiful, as they always are. Um, she had not given a ton of speeches this season either because she wasn't actually nominated for a SAG Award or a BAFTA, um, which made me kind of doubtful about her chances of winning this, but she did win... I didn't love Beale Street, but I thought she was amazing in it. And she's an amazing actress in general. So I was very, very happy for her. Yes, I, I watched her in every episode of Southland. <laughs> yeah, um, she's on The Leftovers and she was so amazing in that show. And so I love her for that. And I was just so happy for her. There were several other good speeches. Um, the one that was really striking to me was Hannah Beachler winning for Best Production Design for Black Panther who was yes. just like my favorite speech obviously i was very excited about the ruth carter winning costume oscar but hannah beachler's speech and just everything about her was stunning <laughs> she was intensely emotional and talked very very intensely about ryan coogler there is clearly some kind of story there that i do not know but she was conveying it very emotionally she's relative i don't know what exactly how how old she is but she's definitely under 40 um, and she, her first movie was Ryan Coogler's first movie, Fruitvale Station. She's been the production designer on all of his films and was the production designer on Moonlight by Barry Jenkins and Beyonce's Lemonade video, which is like an incredible undertaking. Um, so like basically her whole career, she's clearly been supported by Ryan Coogler and the kind of the way she was talking about him was that he kind of gave her self-confidence and there was this really great interview or it was like a sort of a, a series of interviews by Cal Buchanan that was with various people who've worked with uh, Ryan Coogler. And they were all just talking about how he kind of uh, spurs on people's creativity. So he's very good at choosing collaborative partners, but he's also very good at encouraging them. And the one that um, Hannah Beachler said was that she kind of talks to herself a lot and um, was a bit self-conscious about this. And he was sort of like, that's like the mark of someone who really just has like this great creative spirit. I mean, he put it in a much more intelligent way that means meant something because he's a genius and I'm a dummy. But, <laughs> but it was just like, clearly he's very good at bringing out people's talents and also bolstering their confidence. Yeah, I remember that. I hadn't realized that was the same person. Um, but that was a, it was just a great speech. And she won in combination with um, a white man uh, Jay Hart, who had the decency to say nothing. He just stood there and looked at her proudly. And I was like, thank you, sir. Thank you for not speaking. Just a, just a nice dad. He's won his Oscar. He's done many, many films. Yeah. yeah, she was just, and she looked so cool. She had such a great outfit. She was wearing this cool, like, face jewelry. She had to put on glasses so she could read her speech, which she couldn't find on her phone. So it was really relatable. And I was like, I love you. <laughs> yes. Uh, Black Panther's other win, in addition to production design and costumes, was um, Ludwig Goransson for Best Original Score, which was pretty expected. And uh, he also seemed like a very nice young man. I did not watch his Grammys acceptance speech because I did not watch the Grammys, but... Well, he also has been working with Ryan Coogler and all his yes. movies. And um, I just found it really nice 
uh, unassuming presence, which which I enjoyed. I was like, oh, everyone who worked on this movie seems like a nice person. Which yeah, was they're great. all nice. They're chill. They work well together. When that won, I was like, well, it's a pretty good win, but I kind of would have preferred Beale Street because I just think that the music in Beale Street is so stunning. And then this morning when I was kind of thinking about it, I listened to some, some of the Black Panther soundtrack again. And I was like, actually, no, this is completely legit win. He went to Senegal and South Africa to do a bunch of research and like speak to like historical music scholars and kind of recruit people to work on the work with like sort of a Hollywood orchestra to kind of combine various music styles like a lot more research than goes into a lot of the scores that often get nominated so I was just like yeah it's completely warranted and it's a really great score and it sounds really cool and almost all Marvel movies have really appallingly boring music so he's really a winner in that regard as well for sure I guess my only two other things would be I was really, really excited to see Free Solo win in the documentary category, directed by a husband and wife team who are very cute and also both people of color, which is exciting. I fucking love that movie. It's one of my favorites of the year. And it beat RBG, which is a horrible film. So that was just everything about that was a positive outcome. How is it? For me. I, I mean, I've not seen any of the documentaries. Oh my this God, year, RBG so, is so um, bad. I didn't know that RBG was oh bad. Oh my God. It's just, it's just aggressively mediocre to a degree that makes it terrible, if that makes any sense. Do not watch it. But Free Solo was great. I was very happy about that. And um, even though Roma did not win Best Picture, Alfonso Cuaron got to accept three Oscars, including one from Guillermo del Toro. And um, it was really nice. He's just oh, that was nice the man. moment I wanted. I know. Yeah. The, the, best, the best Oscar handover was definitely Samuel L. Jackson giving the screenplay award to... Spike Lee, oh because what happened there is that um, they had people presenting kind of two two awards in pairs, and um, Brie Larson and Samuel L. Jackson, who apparently are a really great double act in Captain Marvel, um, they presented the two screenplay awards, and the first one that won was Green Book, where Samuel L. Jackson basically just sort of handed over with a stony <laughs> face, like disgusted, like openly displeased with the whole arrangement, and then was like absolutely dying with excitement when he was giving the award to Spike Lee, who like leapt physically onto his body on stage, and they were like screaming, and it was very delightful. That was one of the best things in the whole night, and then the big embrace between Guillermo and Alfonso Cuaron was also just very moving. I was so annoyed because my stream cut out at that point and I was like, this was the moment I was waiting for. It was great. And then (laughs) Cuaron got up to the microphone and said, it never gets old to be up here and hugs from Guillermo never get old. And I was like, I love you. (laughs) And it really took me back to uh, 2006 when I was so mad that Children of Men barely got any nominations we got a few, but it didn't win anything. And that was, I was obsessed with that movie. And I was like, everything is unfair. And here we are now. And it's all worked out. So yeah, I, I actually think for the most part, the winners were not terrible. Yeah. It's just that the few that were, were really bad. <laughs> so you have to sort of take the good with the bad. Well, it was like pretty much all of the lower down categories were great. Yeah. And then once you got to sort of like best picture situation and yeah. We will just have to hope that they continue expanding the membership. John Bailey, who is the president, is definitely not coming back because he did a terrible job. Perhaps Laura Dern, who kind of wanted this job last year and then took herself out of the running, will actually do it this year and she can fix the Oscars. <laughs> that would be great. She has good taste. Um, 
But yeah, this was a cursed year in general, and I'm glad that it is over. And 2019 can now officially begin. I don't know if you were aware, but actually it was still 2018 until yesterday, and officially 2019 begins today. And we can watch new movies now. Thank God. Do you have any honorary Oscars you would like to give out? Uh, I put my, like, would have won things on Twitter, which everyone could see. I would have given Best Picture to A Star is Born, even though I don't think it's the best film of the year. It was my film of the year. I would have given an award to Lynn Ramsey, or really any woman who made a good film this year. If I could have changed one thing, I mean, obviously I would have changed Best Actor, but Green Book getting a screenplay award, I, I would have loved for that to go to First Reformed. I would have changed that. That would have been very satisfying to me. And Olivia Coleman wins wins the Oscar for for Best Oscar Speech. Spike Lee wins the Oscar for Best Presence at the Oscars. And Richard E. Grant wins Best Oscar for Best Presence on the Oscar circuit. He didn't win an award, but he won all of our hearts. So yes. And I'm you know. excited to see him on the Star Wars promo tour. Oh my god, it's gonna be wild. It's gonna be so much fun. Uh, also his reaction to seeing Barbara Streisand was so good <laughs> he was just very happy he's a lovely man and uh, i'm very happy that all this has happened to him maybe someone will give him another good role and we can have a have round two that would be that would be good um thank you to everyone for listening and reading our oscar awards coverage this year uh it was a weird year it's over now and we'll be back at it again next year after a long break. If you enjoyed this, there's always more on our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash overinvestedpodcast. Gav, where can our listeners find you and your stuff on the internet? You can find my writing at The Daily Dot, and you can find me on Twitter at hello underscore Taylor. Uh, I am on Twitter at mldavies. Uh, we would also really appreciate it if you could leave us a rating or a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever other podcast service you use. It really helps us find new listeners. And otherwise, you can find us online on our website at overinvestedpodcast.com, on Twitter at overinvestedpod, or on Tumblr at overinvestedpodcast. Thanks. Bye.